Hello. Hello. Welcome to Seeds of Awakening. Welcome to Seeds of Awakening. My name is Forrest Daniel Dwyer. I am alongside... Kimberly Jacobson. Nice. Me. And so before we introduce you to our guest this week, just a little side note, we just launched the Be Light blog, which mm-hmm. is very fun. So our our online platform where you can we post at least one weekly blog that's always different but we also have launched our weekly light letter which is just a happy little light letter that flies right into your inbox if you're a subscriber they're actually really really cool they're so much fun i get to sometimes write them but i get to read them and i just read this week's and i was just sitting here laughing away Um, But they're very enjoyable and we share everything like mantras and meditation and like some really interesting statistics, some astrological forecasting. You will, I think, get a kick out of them. So go to BeLightBlog.com and subscribe and um, we'll send you one Wednesday for Wellness Wednesday, for Hump Day Wednesday, just to get you through, get you feeling good. Yeah. Um, we really think you're like, and we, we love putting them together and they're, they're They're designed to be fun and, um, they're not designed to promote anything, just simply designed to provide a bunch of quality, quality stuff for you to read about on Wednesdays. Yeah. So, uh, our guest we'd like to introduce you to this week is Annika Lucas, Mm -hmm. who is a great human. I was very excited to do this interview and she has an absolutely incredible story and an incredible life. An amazing life. Um, I mean, from a very young age, from a very young age, she was sold into a, as she puts it, a murderous pedophile network by her, by her family. Um, and went on a tremendous journey that she talks about us with in terms of overcoming that emotionally and psychologically, Um, has gone on to be an author, speaker, advocate, obviously for child and and sex trafficking victims, and founded a nonprofit organization called Liberation Prison Yoga in New York, which is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So an amazing life, uh, an amazing, amazing story that we dive into. And And she's in process of writing a book all about the um, unconditional model, Mm -hmm. which which we talk a little bit about, and it's her model for for healing and... Mm -hmm and what has helped her through that journey and now what she's doing to share that experience. So this is an awesome conversation. Hope you enjoy it. And thank you to Malachi for the song. The Woods. The Woods. So thank you so much for joining us and for um, being a part, being a part of this podcast. Um, and so you have such a incredible, powerful story that I think is just an amazing one to be shared. And so I, w- I would love for you maybe to just dive into a little bit of your background. Sure. Yeah, really, really easy place to start, I'm sure. <laughs> I can't say I'm used to it, but I do share quite, quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so my background is very extreme, so I just want to give a trigger warning to anyone who is not expecting this. Um, I, was, um, I grew up in Belgium, 
and I was sold as a young girl into a murderous pedophile network. That network, um, I later realized, was an international network, and there were men, um, world leaders, from around the Western world, who were perpetrators in this network. It was, um, I was caught in the power system, dealing with men who were either on their way up and were being blackmailed by being given a very young child. And then I was also trained by an American who favored me and then had me trained to be a sex slave to the elite. And a spy, but this was, this was done at age nine. Mm. And there were about three times in the five years and a half that I was trafficked in this network that I felt I needed to do something to save my soul. And that had me stand up against my abusers. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, each time I did that, something very big happened. So the first time was the very first time I was there. And so I just immediately was confronted with how dark it was because I stood up. Mm -hmm. The second time was with that American perpetrator, which had him reject me. And the last time was when I was about to be killed, which then had this other perpetrator's change his mind and save my life and rescue me from the network. I know you speak a lot about this in a, in a four part series, which um, I've been watching and will add the links to, but what, what happened that actually led you to being a part of this, you know, this sex trafficking group? Well, I think my mother was someone who had no boundaries at all. Mm -hmm. And I know of several people whose parents are so dysfunctional and so crazy that I think if circumstances would have been the same, those parents would also have done the same. Mm -hmm. so my mother ended up acting as my pimp, but first I was groomed by a couple that was connected to this network except that my mother then took over. Mm. But it was a, a circumstance of her somehow making herself believe that I was now, that through me, she was being connected to powerful people. There was that. Yeah. Even though I was so young. Right. Uh, that, that time you were six. younger than nine, you were six, yeah. Those years, those young, young years, that's when there's so much being formed. You know, there's so much like emotional learning happening and um, you, you, there's just so much being absorbed, you know, where it's as kids, it's like a sponge. So what was that experience um, like as far as being able to develop emotionally and, um, you know, physically, spiritually? Well, I think, first of all, children are a little bit in a state of grace mm -hmm. that thank, thankfully there are um, 
ways that the body-mind system you know, helps us survive that, um, that make us not so conscious, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Um, what children do, you know, being sponges, I think the most important thing that children do is to take on the vibrations, take on the projections of the adults who obviously are unloading things that they can't hold themselves. So all that shame, you know, the... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take it from him. <laughs> so stop protecting it. <laughs> he's eight pounds, so he's got to make a lot of noise. Yeah, of course. It's okay. He's adding a little comic relief. Which is yeah. <laughs> That's his role in life. Perfect. Um, so I think children really ex accept whatever's given to them from adults. Mm -hmm. so making the adults good. We, you know, little, little children just will do anything. And, and that is for adults in any situation, whether it's a dysfunctional household or it's this extreme abuse, there is a, a message that is ultimately imposing a lie on that child about who they are. And that child has no choice but to receive it and accept it. Mm. And so I had to believe that I was evil or I had to believe that I was dirty or I had to believe that I was all the things that were being placed on me. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I thought of it as a little bit of a game. Um, and I believe the reason that I had this slight distance, now I didn't have it all the time, but I had to distance, that's why I was able to stand up these three times during that saved my life was because I had someone love me in the first years. So the love that I received in the just first three years of my life from a caretaker, that really gave me the blueprint to know that it was wrong and to have that seed to heal later on and to gain self-esteem. Do you, do you think that people that don't have like, did you see people that didn't have the seed, didn't have that knowledge that it was wrong, that it was, or that just kind of taken? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't have it. Yeah. So the users definitely were passing on something that had been handed to them. Mm. So it was clearly a repeat mm -hmm. and they had no awareness. So they might think that they're playing sexual games, but they were actually going into a part to be on the other side of that humiliation and the other side of that fear and that helplessness that they experienced once in their life when they were children. And then there were, of course, other children who didn't have that strength. So those world leaders were very, very weak men. Mm -hmm. And then if you have no self-esteem, life is so difficult that you need something to navigate through life and then that becomes power. And then that is then imposed on the entire world through the hierarchic system. Yeah. Now you say um, in one of the talks you've given, you say, you say something along the lines of like society today asks us not to feel trauma, but the higher you go or the, you know, the more power you have, the more you're asked to repress. So, can you expand a little more on that? Well, it's any power structure, including in the yoga world. Yeah. That when a person is using power to substitute self-esteem, 
they need to be bigger and bigger and bigger and they'll be the ones that keep going because the world of power is very dark. So at some point there will be, well, there are a lot of choices to make on the way up. Mm -hmm. Whether it's yoga, Hollywood, politics. Yeah. And every person that reaches the top is definitely compromised. Mm -hmm. In this system, in the current in system. system. Yeah. It's not possible at the moment to be completely innocent because at, at the very least you know you know what's going on mm -hmm. you know that pedophilia is a a system that is used to blackmail people to make sure that no one will reveal what's really going on in the dark halls of power now i don't know in the yoga world but there's certainly a lot of abuse that's being uncovered lately by the mm -hmm. big gurus and so forth. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So once again, we have this power structure in place and it's someone, I think some of these gurus were definitely fallen angels that were, have spiritual gifts, but then they've succumbed to this temptation of power, which is very powerful. You have no self-esteem. There's nothing like power. Yeah. <laughs> now, you talk, kind of speaking of gifts, I don't know if that would be the exact word choice I would use, but I do feel as for a, for a child, you are able to uh, like perceive and come to, not necessarily intuit, but come to learn expectations and be able to read you know, people's weaknesses. And that's something that's just a really, I don't know if incredible is the right word, but as a young child, that's like such a, a, a strong ability to have. Well, I think all children feel expectations, but I was trained to spot men's weaknesses for the spy part. Right. I was trained. It's, it's trained. It's called, I guess it's really should be called trauma-based mind control. Hmm to be able to spot men's weaknesses. Do you notice that's carried with you as, you know, in your later years or 30 years, however many years later? Of course. I mean, my whole life has constantly been all about this. I don't know what I would be like without it. You know, right. My entire life has been completely 100% influenced by my childhood experiences. Right. For the trauma, you know, the, the, the trauma was just everywhere in every second of my life. There was some repeat happening, some emotional repeat happening. And the healing is wonderful, but there's no other way to go then but to just start sharing that healing because it's not like there's any other life for me. <laughs> right. Um, I, I want to eventually get to talking about your what you do now, the liberation prison yoga and the unconditional model. But I, I've heard you talk about this word before and I'm curious because of what you've been through, especially in your childhood and the trauma you've been through, how you look at it compared to how other people look at it. You, you talked about the word resilience and how people are naturally resilient. And I, it's not an exact question, but I'm kind of curious in how you look at that word and what you think of in terms of people actually holding resilience. Yes, well, 
I will mention the unconditional model because resilience is, can be a very tricky word. <laughs> Not something you can impose on anyone. Mm -hmm. So certainly, if I think people who've had that, who have the ability to receive love, but people are resilient anyway. We go into the prisons, people are extremely resilient. Mm -hmm. And that resilience can be used for healing in the best possible way that there is, if it's possible to see a greater purpose to the healing. Mm -hmm. Like I am not sorry about anything that has happened because I know that I'm a much better person that whatever I was before I came in, in this life, mm -hmm. I've learned to love. Mm -hmm. This journey has taught me how to love people and love even <laughs> I also have a cat. <laughs> Two cats. So that was definitely a cat move. Um, you know. It's taught you to love people. And cats. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even the most evil people in the world. I understand even the perpetrators. I can really see their emotional age and stuck in the infancy in emotional growth. And I can to say that infant and the suffering soul underneath it. And so I, and, and then that, it, of course, and everyone, you know, leading up to that kind of trauma, I, I can really understand and I really love, have learned to love people. And so there is a greater spiritual purpose to suffering and trauma mm. that I think has to do with learning to love. But, if someone is not able to tap into that, then at the same time, we don't want to ever impose that it should be that. Because you can't bypass your own discomfort in telling someone that, you know, their suffering really has a greater purpose <laughs> if they're right. not, if they're not, oh, if, if someone is, is just in the midst of the suffering and doesn't mm -hmm. see any um, light at the end of the tunnel. How do you support that if you run into that type of work with anybody you, you work with? Well, that's the unconditional model. It's whatever is there for the person. You're just with it. Just mm -hmm. being present with whatever is there so that at the very least, the person can potentially break out of isolation and know that there is someone there to, to listen mm -hmm. or to maybe understand, maybe reflect some of what they're, they're experiencing you talk about um your journey obviously you had the you learned the tools and went through a long period of time learning the tools and i'd like to talk to you about what tools you use in terms of um coping but you also talk about a little bit of like a it's a it's kind of a fork in the road because you talk about the way that you've coped and learned and grown spiritually. And then there are people who don't and they end up kind of in the cycle and end up becoming people of power in the cycle that are um, then doing the same thing to children or, or other people that abuse. So what, what was that path for you? Like when you reached potential of, of going in this way where you could actually heal and find tools that were helpful and, and instead of reentering the cycle? Well, it was really both, I should say, that I was constantly in a cycle mm -hmm. as 
I might have to take that bone away from my dog. <laughs> I was constantly in some kind of cycle. I was constantly repeating something because mm -hmm. just the emo especially emotionally, I had been given guidelines by my rescuer that were very helpful in terms of not repeating physically uh, anything from my childhood, which would have killed me very early on, prostitution, drugs, and so forth. So that was all off the table. I followed these guidelines religiously, but emotionally I was constantly in some kind of a situation that was an unconscious repeat repetition mm -hmm. of some betrayal, some, you know, it's very, really very hard to live without self-esteem. And there was always this choice, power or self-esteem. And I was offered worldly power in many ways because I was automatically attracting it. I had this experience with these world leaders. Obviously, this is in my vibration. I'm attracting them all, all around. You know, wherever I would go, there they are. Mm. So I would con constantly reject that, partially too scared of what that would mean, and especially also in myself, that darkness that was in me also, and I was afraid it was me, because that's part of the brainwashing. So... I stayed away from it, but then instead I would experience, I would make a very conscious choice. I'm not following the way of power. I'm not going to look cool. I'm not going to do this thing that will make me look really good. But instead then I would experience the humiliation, mm. the, the, the pain sometimes, the grief, and it would lead me back in my healing process. It would then lead me back to maybe what was underneath that what was the original cause for these feelings of humiliation and so forth so that I could just be in the healing process but even in the healing process and even still there's always repetitions happening mm -hmm. um, and I think most of us are in trauma repetitions there's, un there's so much unresolved trauma for everyone because mm -hmm. it is we're not really encouraged to heal in the biggest sense of the word, to mm -hmm. fully embrace. But life makes it very difficult to do that. And when you do, the, there's magic to it. The, the healing, the neural integration that happens, there's magic to it. For me, the insights that I received when I was connecting, um, when I was connecting some behavior and being able to draw it back to the origin, original trauma that had the feelings repressed and then controlling behaviors coming out of that and then escaping behaviors coming out of that, all to keep that, those feelings repressed. So there's a whole cycle going on inside. We all have that. Right. Yeah. We all have all these parts. So to be able to consciously go to the, the bottom and connect with the original trauma, the integration that takes place then, it really, um, it really changes you from the inside. And then yeah. external situation also changes as a result of the inner changes. I've heard you talk a lot about using light and the visualization of light and then unconditional love as as tools for healing. So how, how does someone or how do any of us that you'd recommend take a look at those feelings? You know, how do we kind of peel back the layers to then see those feelings? And then what, 
what is the process that you use or you recommend to then work with those feelings once this once they've come up? Well, I can talk for another couple of hours. Um, but essentially, it is to become mindful of power dynamics. I, I can't get into it. It's too much. <laughs> because it is looking at external power dynamics based on the world and internal power dynamics based on whom we give power based on our own childhood authority figures. Mm-hmm. And so essentially we, we are all participating in this power structure by on the one hand, looking up to people, giving our power away to some and looking down upon others, whether or not these people are externally on a higher Mm-hmm. privilege level than we are or lower that we're encouraged through that external system of privilege to look up to certain people and look down on other people and you can safely say that someone who completely follows that external model just looking up to people above them completely looking down on everyone below them in the external power structure that's a psychopath mm-hmm. and that's the people at the top of the paradigm who will get there no matter what. And that's all these choices that are being made on the way to the top. But we all are participating internally. We all have some unresolved trauma, unmet emotional needs from childhood. And so that will be projected onto people through, you know, giving power to some teacher, you know, admiration that, that, that extends just the appreciation for what they have to offer that has to do with just like, I'm now like a child in your presence mm-hmm. and looking down on certain people, you know, no matter where they are, they can be at the very top and we know them only from the media, but we look down on them. We don't respect them. So that it's really looking at our own power projections and to take the assumptions that the model gives you to work with as mindfulness to look at what that actually means for ourselves and as to the unmet need. Like if we say um, we judge someone, which would be the, 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 the smallest form of projection onto someone else, you know, we are distancing ourselves from this person and there's fear behind even judgment, something as small, seemingly small as judgment. There's some some fear behind that because if you wouldn't judge me, maybe you'd be closer. Mm. And it would, that rapprochement behind that is some fear. So there is the assumption that if you look down on someone, if you judge someone, you are actually judging something that you've not resolved inside of yourself. And so what you are judging can be used very specifically as to what it is inside of you that needs healing. And so starting from there, there's all these different exercises to get to what may be at the bottom of that. A lot of questions, journaling, meditations, to get to the, to get to the bottom of that. And of course, it's a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. And you may not get to the bottom until you're physically, emotionally ready to handle that information. And then, it, and then it will come to you. But if you're in the process of the work, there's the magic that happens. Up. You know, whatever work we do to grow, there is a, a, an element that is not something that you do, that is spiritual, that you do the work, and then the awareness comes. Mm-hmm. 
And then the, the growth comes, the healing comes. And it's not really, we can't really say I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. That right. just comes as, as grace. Mm-hmm. You do have to do the work. You have to do it. <laughs> yes. I, I liked um, when I, so the book, the unconditional model is coming, right? It, you're still writing that book. So it's coming. And there's also, you do sessions, uh, training sessions with people and, Oops. I do. So I do private sessions with people. I'm traveling and presenting the model. I'm working it a lot. I'm working it as if I, the book was already out. And- <laughs> um, one of the things I love about it, and you mentioned it earlier, is the the idea of uh, a big part of the work is finding and, and being simply present with yourself and your emotions, or if you're working with somebody else, being present with them. Uh, and not really being anything else outside of uh, truly present with them. Can you talk a little bit about the power of that? Because I think that is oftentimes uh, a lot of the work, and I, I love that philosophy, so I'd love to hear more about your perspective of it. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, so it is, it is so powerful to be able to be fully present with someone because if you are just present and you don't need anything to change in that person, and you have to be very present with yourself because if you go into the prison, you know, your own stuff is going to be kicked up. Mm-hmm. So you have to constantly look at yourself and be mindful to be able to be present. But if you are, it's just the most beautiful thing because you're connecting from the heart. And in that presence and you accepting that person exactly as they are, and you not needing anything to change about them. Things, there is room for growth. Mm. Suddenly that possibility of, um, of changing becomes a choice. And when people are given choice, like children, it's much more appealing. Mm-hmm. But this is not the goal at all. I've just noticed that that's when change seems to happen and it's miraculous. But that's not at all the goal. The goal is really to be present, is really to be fully present and just come from this completely opposite paradigm that in this prison system, you can say is the bottom of the people who are incarcerated, that is really the disenfranchised at the very bottom of the privilege scale. Mm-hmm. And, um, people lose citizen, you know, lose whatever privilege you have as a poor person in this country and a person of color in this country, you'll lose it when you, when you're incarcerated and you may be incarcerated just for the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. This is a perpetuation of the slavery system. It's a covert. It's kind of more perverse because we're all supposed to believe that it's over now, but it really is continuing in these very insidious ways. And all you have to do is walk into a jail in well, New York city and you know, there's no question, you're stepping right into hell and the boys and girls as young as 16 are treated as adults or, or charged as adults. Mm-hmm. And they're all kids of color. Mm-hmm. And so that punitive system, which is really not meant to punish someone for a crime it's really meant to keep 
people at the bottom of the power paradigm carrying the burden for everyone above them so that people of privilege can live their privileged lives without having to worry, without having to get to the bottom of their own personal trauma and feel their pain that gets passed down in this way to the less privileged who are carrying the pain for, for everyone else and are feeling the pain for everyone else through the way they are treated constantly, mistreated, constantly mistreated. So to walk into a situation like that, a situation that I experienced as a child being constantly made to feel that I was the, the least of the least and the, the worst of the worst and, you know, deserving nothing good, to walk into that and to be simply present with someone and to respect that person and to, to know that they're a dignified human being and to be present with, I mean, that is just simply very powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a good segue to um, what you were just talking about is liberation prison yoga, which is the work you do. And you talk about teaching trauma conscious yoga. Um, I'd love to hear about what that exactly means. And I also, uh, we uh, saw you kind of talk about the fact that in prison, you're not just dealing with people that have had trauma in their past. You're dealing with people that are currently living in a tra traumatic situation. And so uh, curious and kind of how do you deal with somebody that has had a traumatic life and then also is currently living in a situation where they're still experiencing trauma in, in where they are and, and likely can't get out of that. Um, and what, what that kind of means to work with people like that and, and what the goal is there. I mean, obviously you said just to be present with them, but what your work is there. Well, that is the goal is to be present, <laughs> to offer presence. And of course, through the tools that we bring, peace, mm -hmm. a sense of inner peace and a relief from that, um, that abuse that is being inflicted on mm. people. So there is this moment of relief and bringing those empowerment tools so that when we leave, we don't take the magic with us. People can, are empowered to use these tools for themselves, and they do. And that is really what trauma-informed is. If I'm a teacher, a yoga teacher, who's unconsciously needs to feel above my students because mm -hmm. of my own unresolved trauma. Right. So I, <laughs> so I need to, like, you know tell them what to do and then they become addicted to me and then I get to feel special. Right. Well, that is not going to help my students in, in jail. You know, they might become addicted to me. And in fact, because people are more vulnerable inside, there's more likelihood of that happening. And I'm going to receive a lot of love from just for coming in mm -hmm. or sometimes just for being the privileged person coming in. You know, just, there's a lot of placating. There's a lot of love. So it's really important to be aware and to not unconsciously do this to make yourself feel better. And trauma-informed and the way liberation does it is um, really completely reverting the power dynamic to allow people to not only feel empowered about their choices, but to really give them the choice. They don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. 
So really the offer presence, mm-hmm. I'm here, we are here together. Let's see what happens from that. And hopefully people get to feel a little bit of safety on the mat, get to feel that they can just be. Mm. That they don't have to be someone. They don't have to do anything. They get to just be and then be, be whatever. No. And, you know, we'll just affirm the validity of being human and how full a person is. There's no broken people. There are no broken people. And with liberation, we, we don't use any commands, for example, at all. This is, I guess, common in trauma-informed yoga, but then it's so ingrained in the teacher training way of teaching that most trauma-informed um, teachers still use use commands. So, so we're we're different. We, we we are definitely a different brand of trauma-informed yoga. We are not clinical at all. We're not distant from our students at all. We're very much present with, and we don't use any commands as well. What what exactly would be a command in a yoga class or in yoga, like any? Uh, oh, everything that you hear. <laughs> you put right put your foot here. Just like a direct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lift your leg. So it's it's all an offering in. Yeah, much. It's yeah. nothing like a regular class when you mm-hmm. change that language. Right. Yeah, it's the most common language used, right? Yes. And it's not sufficient to just not grammatically use any commands. Mm-hmm. We have to also repeat, repeat, repeat that people are really free. Mm-hmm. It's not this hypocritical thing that I'm doing to make myself feel good and then think that I'm so nice. No, it's really, you really get to do what you want. You really get to do what you need right now. You don't have to do what I say. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, Go ahead. Just, um, just like a little example of that, would it be offering up like you could do this or you might, or would that still be kind of a command? Right. It's subtle. So mm-hmm. I actually reverted speaking in the first person a lot. So if I say that I'm going to do this, because of course I'm practicing with, I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. standing there or walking around <laughs> practicing with. Mm-hmm. If I say that I'm doing this, then it automatically leaves a choice for others mm. to either do it or not. That's one example. But yes, everything is invitational. So if this works for you, mm-hmm. you might. And no assumptions made. <laughs> <laughs> what effects have you guys seen in terms of if you've been able to see them all or uh, from people that are incarcerated and have been within the program and taking yoga, have you guys talked to them and and heard their perspective on how it's affected them within prison? I've seen it. Yeah. (laughs) As I said, being present with that is, you know, going to teach yoga, that could be anything. You can go and teach a regular yoga class inside and it's just another program and it doesn't really mean that much. But what makes a difference is the, how you make someone feel. Mm-hmm. 
And if someone gets to feel that they are free and that they're valuable, I mean, not that they might not know that they're valuable, but they don't get treated that way usually. So it just makes a world of difference. So I've had the, the privilege to have sometimes see students again after years and know what it meant for them. And I can tell you that for several people, it's saved their lives. Mm -hmm. They feel like it saved their life to have sometimes even one class save their life. That came back to me through um, someone who was working as a doctor who told me that one of her patients in a clinic in Staten Island um, knew me and had just seen me one time and she said that it had saved her life. Wow. Um, years later, said that. And uh, I've seen someone who, while incarcerated, was obese at Rikers Island and would just sit and put her head, maybe just put her head on the table and just be quiet. And then the last time she said, um, you know, I have these thyroid issues. Can you, I'm, I'm about to go upstate, which meaning she goes from jail to prison. Can you give me some, you know, some exercises to do? So just spend 20 minutes giving her a series of exercises for, to help with the thyroid. And then I had the, the, just this magical moment four years later to see her at uh, Taconic State Prison where we have a program and I was teaching that program that day. And she had spent four years in another prison upstate and then we teach in the unit where uh, people are sent for the last two months of their incarceration. It's called a re-entry unit at mm -hmm. Taconic. We have a program there and she was there. And um, I didn't recognize her because she'd lost so much weight. Wow. And she'd been doing these exercises um, every day. And, I, there were, and, and it included exercises for when you can do them. And, and she was doing yoga with us and she was about to be released and she was feeling very positive. She shared then finally about her domestic abuse situation. Mm -hmm. And um, well, if someone changes that much physically, you know that they're changed mentally as well. And she was ready. That was just so beautiful and so moving. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I'm curious, you, a lot of your work is spent, you know, in, in prisons and with those who are incarcerated and talking a lot about the, the power structure. Just a question that popped up a couple of times while we were um, talking is what, what do you think would need to shift like a paradigm shift <laughs> in or this could be a wild question in order for us to maybe start start some some of the healing process also from the top down right so Absolutely. it's so important to heal you know it's so important to heal the people who feel like at the moment they're completely powerless but what do you think would need to happen exactly. <laughs> well our own healing is what makes the difference right so the unconditional model is, des is designed to 
use power dynamics to heal ourselves so that we, we can create an internal egalitarian system. <laughs> it, so what do you mean by that? All right. Oh, well, we all have these parts. <laughs> that every time there is an unmet emotional need, there is a part that is formed that is say a part is frozen in time and space because emotionally I have now not been able to mature from this point on because this emotional need was never met, mm -hmm. but I'm, I still have it. So even though I'm 56 years old, that was when I was five. So I have a five-year-old inside of me with this unmet need who still needs it. Mm -hmm. So how is that need going to be met? That five-year-old in me, how is that five-year-old going to, going to get their need met? So I, as my, with a basic self-esteem, anyone with basic self-esteem can do it, can go and meet my five-year-old with this unmet need, and I can offer that to them. I can. Mm -hmm. And I can heal myself that way. Or if I don't have the self-esteem, I have maybe one safe person in the world who can offer me reflection until I have enough self-esteem, until I've been able to receive enough love, unconditional love, to be able to heal myself. But we are, as we grow up emotionally, we become more conscious. This is the, of the Satchitananda part, that's the chitta part, mm -hmm. is the, the feeling and the consciousness that this work is not just for this life. It doesn't feel that way. It's deeper work. When you, when you resolve trauma and you experience this integration, it feel, it's, it's slow work, but it's deeper. And you're, whatever habits were created as a result of your trauma, they're gone. You don't need these bad habits anymore because you don't need those escaping mechanisms anymore. You don't need those controlling mechanisms anymore. It's gone. It dissolves. And so you really um, expand your consciousness that way. Now, if I'm giving this love to my own five-year-old, do you think I cannot see it in someone else? Mm. So if I can fully heal myself, I can really understand you know, the worst elements of humanity, which are at the top, but I can also see through their BS. Mm -hmm. And I'm also not going to give them the power. I mean, I'm still living in the world, right? I'm still voting, maybe. I'm still paying my taxes. You know, I'm still giving my power away. If I pay my taxes, I know my, 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 my tax money that belongs to me is now going to be used to create war, a war that I don't want. Mm -hmm. It's going to fund this endless war machine that I don't want to be part of, but I am part of it because I'm paying my taxes. Mm. I'm voting, giving my power away to someone. I know they're not going to do what I want them to do. Mm. One of those two people, <laughs> <laughs> they're going to do what I want them to do. <laughs> So it's for all of us to be healed enough 
to be empowered to not just have the kind of revolution like the French Revolution where we where we go and kill those bastards, but to really be empowered to take charge and responsibility and accountability for the world. Because mm. if we keep giving our power away, it's obviously it's not going to happen. So it's a revolution that we have to empower ourselves and the more we can empower, the more people we yeah. can do. Yeah. We empower ourselves by healing. Mm-hmm. Healing is the most revolutionary thing we can do. And healing is a lifelong practice. It is a lifelong practice. So the more healing there is, the more courage there is, and the more this tide can change. And so then there's the asana piece or the movement part of yoga, which how do you see that being, being an important piece of the, the healing process? What was important for me, uh, for my healing, oh boy, I'd be a wreck without it. <laughs> And really, it was because I always did uh, physical exercise. It was just the best one, mm. I should say, not more than that. It's the, the combination of the breath really made a big difference into getting into higher states. But I do consider the Hatha Yoga a physical practice, and it's a health insurance. It's just common sense to do something. I don't say do Hatha yoga, do something to, to be healthy, mm. to move, to, um, you know, it's that. It's not more important than that though, I mm. would say. I'd say the meditation piece is more important mm. and the overall way of living is maybe the most important. And to be, you know, to practice himsa to the best of our ability, mm. You know, that is maybe the most important. Mm-hmm. But then if you do the physical practice, it affects everything. You know, you'll be less um, inclined to eat meat because your body is being wrung out every day. And so you don't, you know, you can't really withstand the, the heavier foods that are being sort of pushed on us and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, but the Hatha Yoga, you know, I wouldn't want to put too much focus on it because I think there's entirely too much focus on the physical part of yoga mm-hmm. that has created those crazy situations with these people that are getting all this estimation for physical exercises that they put out and being treated as saints when they're really very compromised people mm-hmm. or as their students would say, very human. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to understand your definition of, um, maybe not definition, but how you live with ahimsa and, and, you know, nonviolence and respecting everything. So I just like in, from your perspective, what it means to live in that way. Another couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Another book you might have to write. (laughs) Right. Well, I see it as, um, I mean, Gandhi's life was about ahimsa, you Mm -hmm. know, that was the, uh, satyagrahis or living, to try to not harm another creature. So I don't, you know, brush the the earth in front of me to make sure I'm not going to step on a bug. I'd like not to step on one. But I think for me, it's to constantly train myself to to have the self-discipline of mindfulness 
to constantly get myself out of my inevitable judgments mm -hmm. and negative projections mm -hmm. to just constantly get myself out of that. And that, you know, my tests will be quite, you know, um, not judging when I'm being attacked, mm -hmm. not judging when I'm, when, when I'm being, my name is, someone's trying to smear my name or someone that I know is trying to say, he's telling lies about me, things, things like that. Just not, Initially, I'll have feelings about it because now I'm triggered. So I use the trigger to remove it from that person, to go inside myself, mm -hmm. see where I have my unresolved issue, where that leads to, what is at the bottom of it, so that I can keep it away from that person and I can ultimately just place them in light, send light, send them peace and harmony, peace and harmony, peace and harmony, as a way to, to not participate in it. You know, not get engaged in a dysfunction. Just send light, do my own work, and just send them on their way. And then wherever, you know, that doesn't mean I'm going to go say hello to them and talk to them. But I'll protect myself, but just to energetically keep it clean. Mm. And you, you often do this where you, or you, you talk, mentioned it twice, where you use a trigger or something that really strikes you as an insight to then go work on that internally and not, Instead of it being an external problem, it's always something that you can work it's on. Always internal. Internal. It's, yeah. always, it's always the way we respond to things mm -hmm. rather than what happens to us. So if, if I respond with a lot of emotion, there's clearly something to look at. Right. <laughs> it's true. It's never what is outside of us. It's never the circumstances. Mm. But then inside prison, there are several people I've met who've completely accepted their horrific circumstances and who live like saints, mm -hmm. glowing, <laughs> glowing. That's Happy. Cool. Yeah. Incredible. That is incredible. Serene. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, before, before we wrap up, I just think it's an interesting point that I know this this kind of conversation and conversation around trauma can be really tricky, almost like a denial. And for those who have come from a little bit more um, of like a privileged lifestyle, we tend to try to see things through like rose-colored glasses. Mm -hmm. So it's a really powerful thing to share. So I just want to say thank you. And then what what is something that you would say to continue sharing the message maybe for those who this is newer information to take in. <laughs> well, I would say, you know, follow my work and read my book because there is much more to it. And there is this is the issue that you brought up first of privilege. Mm -hmm. You know, I think privilege is a tool that keeps us divided, mm -hmm. that keeps us, that, that, that imposes artificial separation. And what it really is, that it becomes an addiction. Mm -hmm. To the degree that we're not aware of our privilege, we can be attached to that privilege without realizing that we've been given this gift. And what it really actually becomes is then a way not to heal. It becomes a way not to have to go deeper into our own personal unresolved trauma. And that is how the power system works. Mm 
well. It's, it works through personal unresolved trauma. It's a trauma-based system that each person is traumatized personally in their own family, and then that is covered up through the more privilege one has. And the more privilege one has, the, the less incentive there will be to heal. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, it's to look at that and examine it and turn it over and yeah. serve. Yeah. Go into the prisons. Yeah. Go and work with the homeless because you want to be there present, not from your privileged position down helping those poor people, those poor broken people. No, just to present yourself fully and let your heart be open so that mm -hmm. you that dissolve these artificial differences. Mm. And more often than not, those, some of those people, they, they just show a huge mirror to some of the things that are probably living in your own self anyway. And you'll find that when you connect from the place of equality, that you have more to learn perhaps than they have to learn from you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is how I feel all the time. I'm going in to give, right? But I'm receiving, oh my God. I'm just full, my cup is full. I leave, I can't believe it. Some of our teachers say they feel guilty because they feel so good. They think, I'm not mm -hmm. supposed to feel this good. Mm -hmm. But it's from being present. Mm -hmm. mm. My last question is, um, it, so do you often, I mean, I, guess I'm, I know the answer is yes, but do you live in a world where you're very much trying then constantly to remove those power dynamics from yourself mentally so when you're going into situations like this you're not thinking of yourself as teaching down to people or being you know higher than people or below people right that makes sense well, yeah my, my guilt could place myself below people right yeah often so is is that kind of a constant um thing to work on is finding just equality with everyone everywhere yeah I mean, part of the practice of everybody's whole, I guess, every, nobody's whole. Everyone's broken. whole. So in the prison, I don't have to do that work so much because I'm, you know. Yeah. I'm, it's not an issue for me there, but it's more in, in, in regular life. So my, my last greatest, great, greatest challenge has been, of course, to not give power to the most powerful in the world, to not look down on them either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so to see the human being and to see the pain, and to find um, connection there too. Mm. and healing, you know, bringing healing, hopefully. Hopefully. Cool. So we like to close each episode with three seeds and they're just kind of light, simple questions. Um, it can be like your first, your first thought that pops in as an answer. Okay. Um, so our first seed is if you had either like a billboard that the whole world could see, or if you could just send out like, like a text message or something that everyone in the world would get it's something simple. What would it say? Love everyone. Love, Love everyone. everyone. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, we will. The command though. It's not really in there. Yeah. 
It's you okay. must. You, you, you can love everyone. You can love everyone. <laughs> um, what, what book outside of your own, which we will recommend as it comes out, um, do you like to gift to people the most or do you uh, recommend the most? There's a few at the moment. Um, there's a book called Anastasia by Vladimir Megre. It's a really beautiful, um, it's about a Russian shaman. It's a real, real shaman in Russia that um, Vladimir Megre came upon in the 90, early 1990s. And he's been writing about her ever since. She presents a picture through their conversations of what we can strive towards, what the world can look like when, let's say, the female principle is restored and uh, the dark patriarchy is, you know, the, the power structure is crumbled as we know it and we have something new in place. So these are very beautiful, very, a very beautiful book. There's a whole series of them, but you can start with the first one. Um, and it's not very, I don't know, not many people have read it. So Anastasia by Vladimir Maigret. And, um, you know, I use a lot of parts work and I really love um, um, the internal family systems model by Richard Schwartz. And so his book, um, An Introduction to the Internal Family Systems Model, is a great introduction to that. Awesome. Perfect. And our last question is... Um, one daily practice that you either can't live without or that you would recommend to someone to do every day if possible? Meditation. Mm -hmm. Any particular kind of meditation? <laughs> Another two hours. <laughs> well, I'm in self-realization fellowship, so I do those practices. Um, that's Yogananda. So that's my meditations. But to any meditation, anything to go within and to find stillness, to, to get in touch with that sacred stillness within. Um, and preferably not stop until you get there. Because there's so much to keep you out. Mm -hmm. There's so much to keep you on the surface of life and externalized. So once a day, at least, just uh, stop everything and go within and be awake and present. Mm -hmm. stillness of the soul i like that um <laughs> lastly i thank you so much for being on here and we will link everything um all your sites but where can people find you and um anything last thing you want to say or sure uh, my website is annikalukas.com mm -hmm. so there's a lot there my blog is quite popular if people are interested in my story it's just little bits you know not too much at once and um, it's, people find me, uh, people have gotten to know my blog a lot. I, 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 it comes up often. Mm -hmm. And um, Liberation Prison Yoga is uh, liberationprisonyoga.org. Mm -hmm. And we do trainings. So, you know, come to one. Experience what it's like to teach trauma-informed yoga. To give service. And um, that's it. Awesome. That's great. Thank well, you so much for yeah, spending so some time much. with us. My pleasure.